This episode of Into the Wild is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's well known and proven that connecting with wildlife and nature can improve your overall well-being. So why would you not want to turn it up a notch by getting to see things even closer and clearer with a set of binoculars? It's what I have done and I've not looked back. I can't recommend enough checking out the range of optics that Leica have to offer. A great range of kit with superb optics and they even have payment plans if you don't have the cash up front. I wouldn't shout about a company on the show that I haven't used or been impressed by, and it's important to me that companies we are partnered with have the same values as Into the Wild, which is why I'm proud to give them five thumbs up. If you want to check out more of Leica's range, then visit their website that can be found in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild, your weekly podcast all about wildlife, conservation and nature. I am your host, Ryan Dalton. Thanks, as always, for clicking play on the pod. Welcome to another episode. Why am I talking like that? Welcome to another episode of Into the Wild. Lovely to have you here. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a new listener, where the hell have you been for the last two and a half years? Nevertheless, lovely to have you here. It's official, Nature Nerds. I am whacking on the Factor 30 sun cream. Uh, Got to do it now. <laughs> Work outdoors. Got to do it. Got to do it. I'm not having a red face. I'm not getting sunburnt. I want to be that nice little sun-kissed look, <laughs> which is hard when you're uh, slightly of the uh, genre description. <laughs> the auburn, the strawberry blonde, fair skin. It's quite hard, but it is It is nice to have a little bit of warmth and feel that kind of urge to go out there and go and run in a wildflower meadow. <laughs> it sounded like Theresa May skipping through the corn. Do you remember that? Do you remember when she said that? When Theresa May said, oh, I love to live on the wild side because I love to skip through the fields of... Wait, do you remember when that was the weirdest thing that politicians were saying in Britain? And now we've got this slug... <laughs> no offence to slugs. But this just detritus of a man. Let's not get into it. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Anyway, I hope you're all doing well, and I hope spring is visiting you where you are. We're waiting for the swifts to come back. I love living where I live, uh, especially this time of year, because I know what I say about birds, but I do like birds. And on my road is swift heaven. It is absolutely beautiful. We have about 30, 40 swifts at any one time just flying up and down the street. It's absolutely banging, so I cannot wait for them to be back. Um, Every morning, I'm like, any any sign? Any sign? Any sign? Not yet. Not yet. But soon. They'll be here soon. Let's um, go into 60 Second Nature News, shall we? So, this segment, four stories from around the world to do with wildlife conservation or the natural world and the people that work in it that I'm going to present to you to give you a boost of motivation and positivity as we go forth with this week. So, deep breath, Ryan, you can do this. 60 Second Nature News, let's go. A wild-born eastern indigo snake, which is the largest snake native to the US and used to be found throughout Alabama, has been spotted for only the second time in 60 years. The eastern indigo snake went extinct in the area in the 60s due to habitat loss, but thanks to extensive captive breeding and releasing, this is a sign that the species is doing well. After 100 years of absence, California condors return to the Pacific Northwest. Five of these beautiful raptors have been released in the Northern California Redwood National Park as part of a reintroduction scheme to help restore the population to the area. 
Brown bear populations in the Pyrenees are at their highest for a century. After reintroduction programs due to being extinct in the area, a census in 2021 showed 70 individuals, which is an up from a 2018 census of 52 brown bears. And finally, Sustainable Fishing and Ocean Conservation receives close to $1 million in funding from the Sustainable Seafood Eco-Label Marine Stewardship Council. Satellite tagging stingrays, translocating of sea urchins and developing deep sea cameras are among the 22 projects and fisheries to have been awarded funding by the internationally recognised Sustainable Seafood Certification Marine Stewardship Council. Now in its third year, the MSC's Ocean Stewardship Fund, OSF, redirects 5% of its annual loyalties from the sales of the MSC Certified Sustainable Seafood to accelerate the sustainability of fisheries globally. The fund is also expanding in scope and reach this year as it opens up to a third-party donation from funders. And that's the end of 60 Second Nature News. There we go, some positive stories from around the world. I think we got quite a diverse bit of bit of news there, didn't we? We got what do we got? We got reptiles, we got birds, we got mammals, and we got fish in some form in some way. We did get fish, we got marine life. There we go. Diversity in the nature news, people. <laughs> and before I get on to telling you about what today's show is about, I would like to say if you are listening on Spotify or if you're listening on iTunes, you can do me a favour if you want. Once you finish listening, if you haven't already, can you chuck us a cheeky review? By doing so, you are helping Into the Wild grow and get a little bit bigger and help us be able to talk about nature, wildlife and conservation for a lot longer. Anyway, on to today's episode. What are we talking about today? Well, today's episode, we're talking about the upcoming day, this Saturday, as I taught you on Monday the 9th of May, is Skydancer Day. Now, a few of you, especially if you do not live in the UK, may have no idea what Skydancer Day is. But do not worry, because this episode is exactly about that. I spoke with children's author and wildlife enthusiast Jill Lewis. Jill is absolutely passionate about wildlife and that comes through in her writing for the youth. After writing two books, one called Skyhawk and then Skydancer, Jill has immersed herself in the world of raptors in the UK. We spoke about what Skydancer Day is, what Hen Harrier Day is and what we can expect from this year's Skydancer Day on May 14th. We also spoke about the importance of writing for the youth, getting the youth inspired about nature and writing and how that can engage them about caring for the natural world. So sit back and enjoy this episode, Skydancer Day and Writing for the Youth with Jill Lewis. Hello Jill, welcome to Into the Wild. Lovely to have you here. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. No, absolute pleasure. Have you had a lovely day? That's the most important question of the show. I have actually. I've been, it's the sun's been shining. I've just moved to West Wales and I've been walking beneath yeah. skylarks and meadow pipits today. It's been absolutely gorgeous. Amazing. I was in, I was in, I'm not going to remember the name, so now I don't know why I brought this up, but <laughs> I was in West Wales in December. I was, this is so pointless saying, I was by an estuary. That's all I can tell you. I love estuaries. And there was curlews everywhere. That's all I'll say. <laughs> but I can never remember. I'm bad with words at the best of times. So I cannot remember the beautiful town I was in. But it was beautiful. So I enjoy that area of the, of the world is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, but I'm glad you've had a nice day and the sun is shining. Um, let's start where we always start on Into the Wild with the most important question is, can you start by telling us who you are and what is it you do? 
Yes, so um, I'm Jill Lewis and I'm a children's author and I write stories about wildlife, wild places, um, not so wild places as well, um, urban wildlife and our sort of human relationship with the wild world. Um, and I love doing it as a job that I love because of that mm -hmm. interaction with um, young people at schools and actually just seeing that huge enthusiasm you get from children when you meet them and talk about you know what's their favorite animal what sort of what have they got in their garden um it's brilliant and i love it and it's just such a good way of communicating i think do you um so you said you moved to uh west wales where were you before we were in somerset before which oh, nice. um, i love down on the summer near the somerset levels but i've always been drawn to the sea i've always sort of had that yearning to go to the sea so we've just moved um we've only been here a few months really but somerset was lovely there was an area which had been put over to sort of rewilding a few fields by the sort of local community. And there was so much wildlife just in this one small area, you got barn owls and all the sort of winter birds which just come and feed on the berries. So it was lovely, actually. That's, that's really nice. I, I know what you mean about being by the sea. I find it really grounding. Yes. Not to, yes. Not to start too deep, but I really do. <laughs> There's something about being near the ocean that really kind of, I don't know, draws you in. It is. And the other thing we found being here is the skies. It's so dark. I don't think I've properly seen stars for many years. And you know, the other night I went out and the sky was so dark and the stars are so bright. And it is, again, that's just so grounding. You suddenly, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's, it's just such a beautiful feeling. Uh, Jill, you're talking to a guy that lives in London. Don't start <laughs> talking to me about stars. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I didn't know what a star was until I actually got out of London. I was like, what are these things that people talk about? <laughs> um, a shooting star for me is just a plane going over the city. That's all that is. So with the natural world, it's obviously something you are very enthusiastic about. Like you said, it's the main focus really in all your writing. So what do you love most about the natural world? I think, I mean, so many things. If I go back to my childhood and thinking why I was so fascinated then, I think it's the endless curiosity you've got about this incredible world the science behind it all and that mixed with just the absolute beauty the sort of art we get from being out in the nature and I think ultimately I think it is that feeling of space when the world's really quite busy around you you can just go out into nature have that headspace to relax and obviously it's what sustains us it's our life support system so we have to be internally curious about it we have to hope others so curious and see that beauty as well to protect it yeah i think that's something we've realized more and well, i say we've realized i think when i say we i mean as a larger society i've realized more and more in the last five ten years and i think we'll realize a lot more in the next five and ten years is that we rely on it <laughs> it's not just something that neighbors where we live it's, it's very much something that is the support network of what we need to live Definitely. And it's not just some pretty flowers, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it is, but it's way more than that as well. <laughs> so today we're talking about a topic I actually, I only really heard of in the last, probably really last year, actually, from doing this podcast is a running, I don't know whether it's a joke. It's a joke. It's a running joke on the podcast that birds are not my thing. Oh. My thing. So as I've said that, there'll be listeners smiling and nodding as I've said that, because it wasn't my where my passion originally lied and it's something I've been trying to get more into. I'm more of a head down, look under logs and in ponds rather than head up, right? That's how I've grown up. So this was very new to me in the last couple of years, what uh, we're talking about today, and that is Sky Dancer Day. I guess we should start with the obvious question, which we do like to do on Into the World. What is Sky Dancer Day? So Sky Dancer Day is a spring celebration of the hen harrier. 
Mm. Um, this iconic bird, the hen harrier, it's a bird of prey. The male bird is a beautiful ghost gray color with black wingtips and the female bird is a mottled brown color. Um, and we should have many of them in Britain, um, but their populations are low and they haven't been able to recover primarily due to illegal persecution. So that's poisoning, trapping and shooting. Mm. And the people that are doing the poisoning, trapping and shooting are people who have interests in driven grouse shooting because the hen harriers like to eat the grouse. And if they eat the grouse, then they affect the profits. So they're not wanted. But it's actually even deeper than that because you were talking about you're not such a bird person, but actually the hen harry is really very symbolic because it's this, it's a really iconic bird. You know, it's mm. one of those, wow, that's amazing. Look at that bird. But it represents so much more because we know that the moorlands where the hen harriers are killed are actually managed landscapes. So driven grouse shooting is on heather moorland. And these hills are actually very bare. Heather's not a natural, in, in that quantity, isn't a natural yeah. landscape. So we really want to bring back the wild, rewild a lot of these very bare hillsides. And by doing that, we can bring back so many different mosaic of habitats and many different species as well. So you'd get all the invertebrates and all the things you like to look under logs and sticks. <laughs> you would see those. So I think that's why the hen harrow is so important because it carries all those habitats, mm. all those animals and plants that we just don't have. So that's why we're celebrating the hen harrier on Skydance Day in spring to say, look at this bird. Look, if we had this bird back, look at what else we could bring back with it. So, so really the Skydancer, like you said, is, is the celebration of the breeding season beginning. And that's, I guess I'm, this may be an assumption, but Skydancer, because are they doing displays in the sky? Is this why it's called this? Absolutely. Skydancer, because um, the mating display is this absolutely roller coaster flight path up in the air, looping around, turning on its back. And I haven't seen it myself in real life. I've seen videos of it. And people that have actually seen this Skydancer display just say it's just incredible. The hairs in the back of your neck stand up. It's just such a yeah. beautiful thing to see. And like you said, like, you know, I, I joke and say I'm not, you know, the birds are not my thing, but if I was to see that. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe <laughs> That's what I need. <laughs> I need some sky dancing going on rather than, no offence, feral pigeons, but feral pigeons walking around. Maybe I need the sky dancing happening. This is something that takes place as, like you said, a celebration. So this is coming up in the next, as we record now on the 29th of April, this is coming up in the next two to three weeks, two, three weeks. Absolutely. Skydance Day this year is on the 14th of May and it will start, it's online, it will start at 10.30 in the morning. And we're really fortunate to have Megan McCubbin and Indy Green presenting. Oh, amazing. I know, it's just incredible, isn't it? I and mean, it's yeah. going to be such a good, such a good show with them, with those two presenting it. And what's installed? So what are they, when we say they're presented, what can people expect from the weekend for this celebration? Oh, well, it's, it's, we've got a lot lined up. We're expecting this sort of online um, event to last about just over, just over an hour, a really compact showing of what we're doing. We've got an introduction into hen harriers to show and some stunning footage of these really, really wonderful birds. And then one of our most exciting things is we've got hen harrier nest cams on some selected yes. uh, nests. I know, I am so <laughs> excited about this. And, um, I, you know, I do you know, think I love is seeing 
little baby raptors. They're so fluffy. They just look like these little fluffy dinosaurs. <laughs> they really do. It's so ugly. <laughs> but it's so exciting. And, you know, that's really important to, and we want to engage people to come and look at these birds through the, um, through the webcams and just have that amazement of you know what, what we love seeing about them so that they other people can talk about these birds so we're going to be watching some nest cams um, we've got experts in the field from the RSPB coming to talk to us about satellite tags and what satellite tags can really tell us about animal lives animal journeys so that's going to be really interesting because the satellite tags have told us an awful lot about hen harriers and in fact it's the satellite tags that have shown unequivocally that the primary reason for the lack of population recovery of the hen harrier is the illegal persecution. So tags have shown us that. Mm. And then we've got some quite uplifting, some art, some exciting, some quite humorous art. I'm not going to tell you anything more, but actually I've humorous had a good laugh. art. <laughs> yeah, some hen harrier art that's actually quite comical. So that'll be a, um, a bit of lightness in the show. <laughs> we've got some experts talking about a related topic about the white tailed eagle poisonings in Dorset, mm. which is a very, Dorset seems to be becoming a raptor persecution hotspot, very sadly. Um, so we're going to have somebody talk to us about that because it's, again, it's a related topic. And we've got the first showing of a new song. I'm going to keep that a little bit secret because that's definitely worth hearing. And I've heard this, wow. um, a new group, and it is it actually made me cry. I burst out into tears at the end of it. It's so powerful. It's about the hen harrier. So I hope people will come along and listen to that. Yes. And then very excitingly for me, I for the last two years, I've been running a Young Wild Writer competition. So we might talk about that in a little bit and I'll be announcing the themes and the deadlines and what how people can enter as well. So that's really exciting. I like it with celebrations like this when it involves so many different aspects rather than just kind of your, I guess, traditional talking about the animal or the season that we're celebrating. It's actually mixing a lot of creative and a lot of art into this where I guess it opens up that possibility for more people to get involved really like because you know some people's connection with nature is very different to just learning the biology or the ecology of of the land so it's, that's that's really cool that it's um involving so many different aspects as well and I think um I'm one of the trustees of Hen Harrier Action and we're running the Sky Dance today and that's exactly what we want to do we want to raise awareness we want to engage people mm. and you have to engage people through the science and through the arts for people to feel they can have a say as well about these birds so yeah it's going to be brilliant i hope people will tune in yeah well i'm definitely there it's in my diary ready jill it's in my diary ready so i'll be <laughs> tuning in um so i guess the other thing we should talk about on from sky dance day as well is hen harrier day because these two days are whilst a bit apart on the calendar they are kind of connected in the topic so um we know what these beautiful animals are but what is hen harrier day what is the purpose of this so Hen Harrow Day is a real fixture now in the diary, and it's a great day. It was started by Chris Packham and Mark Avery to really raise awareness of the plight of the hen harrier. And so traditionally, Hen Harrier Day is around the start of the grouse shooting season. And it's a way to get people together, raise awareness, put pressure on um, governments and other bodies to stop the persecution. So we've got the Sky Dance event in spring, which is a celebration, and the Hen Harrier Day in August, because the plight of the Hen Harrier is all year round. You know, these birds are getting persecuted all times of the year. So we want that 
awareness to be throughout the year. And Wild Justice are putting on a fantastic Hen Harrier Fest on the 24th of July this year in 2022. So that's really worth joining going to see and it's going to be a live event so people will be able to travel to it oh that's cool yeah that's brilliant isn't it so nice to get back to that (laughs) (laughs) and you know and with and at hen hair action we hope to be able to sort of be able to show the results of our nest cams and the development of the chicks so yeah it all fits together and it's just so exciting that's really cool and we we talk about like we've we've said about these two days really is is a lot about spreading awareness and getting people to realize a, what these animals are, why they're not here as much, what can be done. Do you think there's, for future years or, I, I don't, I, you know, whatever time span, how do we achieve the actual bringing back these animals greater? Because awareness is a slice of the pie, I guess, isn't it? It's, it's you know, we could have half the country aware of the problem and that doesn't necessarily say we've solved the problem. So what do you think there's ways that we can start actually getting these animals back and more conserved in the UK? Yes, I think sort of raising awareness is obviously the first and foremost thing to get people to care because if, mm. if people don't know um, about the issues, they can't begin to care. And then I think it's really trying to make people care, really engage them, think, well, this is mm. affecting your life, um, whether or not it's directly through perhaps people have um, been flooded through the water coming down off the hill, so that's they've been directly affected or um, that's a more distance affecting by seeing effects of climate change and biodiversity loss. So it's mm. trying to make people really care and actually probably get quite angry as well about yeah. um, about, about these issues. And to make change happen, um, people have got to, I think, be prepared to um, have their voice heard, whether or not they're talking to their MPs, whether or not they're sort of having sort of, you know, groups to go out and, um, there's a group which will be going out monitoring the burning of the of the hillsides and reporting it. Um, it's to go out and actually be involved, I think. Feel that actually you're not helpless. You can be um, a part of it. And I think one of the really exciting things that has happened in the last few years is one of the grouse moors, um, which was a devastated typical grouse moor, that was bought up by um, the Taras Valley group and they're rewilding that. And so that's a community buyout, which is for the community locally and also it extends globally. And those are the things that are really exciting, what people can do in their own environment. So those people have done that up in up in Scotland. But I think just moving away from the Hen Harris, what people can do wherever they live to really protect that biodiversity so if you've got your council stripping out the verges mm. you know mowing them flat you've got to have a say you've got to say no we've got to change this um yeah. so I, that's why I think change can happen but we've got to be prepared to be part of it your last couple of words there that's exactly it isn't it it's like change can happen but we've got to we are it yeah. <laughs> it's all well and good set. I just so for turning your tv off going well i hope someone sorts that out and it's yeah. like <laughs> it's like sometimes lads we've got to do a bit of work ourselves i think people don't realize that they can make a difference mm. it takes a few people to say okay we've got to change this in our local community and then actually you suddenly find that there's another person which pops up and goes well i've been thinking about that but i didn't know what to do and it and it's a really powerful thing to have community pressure um yeah it, 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 and it is the, the more noise i mean 
I remember I was talking to a friend in the pub recently and we were talking about this kind of thing of making change and how best to do it. And I said, well, it takes you back to being a teenager, doesn't it? If you had a couple of friends around your house, your neighbours wouldn't say a word. But if you suddenly had a massive house party, your neighbours would complain and something would be done about it. And that's basically what we need to do. We need a massive house party <laughs> <laughs> to make enough noise so someone goes, we need to sort that out. <laughs> we need to step in. But that's really what it is. You know, it's all well and good. Um, some NGOs constantly, you know, campaigning or working hard to whether it's restore nature or spread awareness or put on these special wildlife days. But again, it's people bringing it closer to home. And I know we're probably in an echo chamber on this podcast with our listeners are probably the kind of people that will be emailing their MPs and, and you know, and, and holding people to action. And I guess it's trying to bridge that gap to people that aren't googling nature podcasts <laughs> to try and go how the hell do we contact them <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah i think that's one of the biggest challenges it is i think it is the biggest challenge it is just being able to it is being able to sort of say put your head over pick the neighbor's garden and sort of like saying oh you know why why don't you leave your grass grow look at my garden i've got i've let it grow we've got this flower this flower and, and you know your neighbor will be thinking well that's a really messy garden they've let it go wild but that's like, it's changing perceptions isn't it and i think it's giving a vision you've got to give a vision of what can be yes. so people can move towards it often people can't see what can change so they'd like stay in their own little world but actually if you go a little bit like the you know the beavers and the rivers if you say okay well this landscape if you have beavers you can have all these you can have these wetlands you can have these trees you can have and with that all the soundscapes that come with it not just the landscape you know, you've got all the different birds all the different amphibians and just you have to show what can be you have to give a vision i think mm, no I, I totally agree and, and one thing i'm i remember way back when this is one of our early episodes i spoke to inca cresswell a wonderful marine uh, wildlife uh, filmmaker and she had studied um or had been studying talking to previous older generations in certain areas of the world in whether it be like the caribbean and stuff like that and trying to bridge what actually was before her time as one of the youth saying it's all well well and good me remembering it as good but it was probably just better than it is now so actually talking to the previous generation going was it good for you when i was a baby <laughs> or was it actually you were remembering it better when you were younger so we can actually start to see the trends of what had happened and i think again that's another thing is rather than blankets saying we need more youth or we need more this it's like actually we need more youth talking to these people and actually trying to notice where have gone wrong and Definitely, what those yeah. trends are Definitely, definitely. I think that then then you can sort of see how things can change. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, sorry to interrupt the episode, Nature Nerds. It's Ryan, your host here. I just want to give you a quick shout out about something. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, accessible for everyone. However, running it is not free. If you would like to support Into the Wild and say thanks, then you can do so by visiting ko-fi.com forward slash into the wild pod. The link is in the write-up of this episode. By doing this and buying us a coffee, you are helping the future of Into the Wild. Thanks very much and back onto the show. Um, I want to talk about your books as well whilst I have you on the podcast. And you mentioned you've done the Young Wild Writer Competition. Now, this is now in its third year. When you set this up originally, the Young Wild Writer Competition, what was your aim with it? What, what did you hope it was going to achieve? So I hope, <clears throat> I hope just going to really engage um, young people to write about the natural world, the wild world around them. And we've had a different theme each year, but it's, I 
wanted to have really I'd hope the children would focus on actually wildlife around them that they can really observe it and watch it and so it can you know you could write about a lion in Africa but actually to write about a little ant crawling across your patio is you're probably going to be far more observed and engaged with it but I think I really wanted children to feel like they've got a voice when they're writing about nature and I think that when you're writing it is about finding your voice and then seeing actually that your voice can have a huge effect on other people and we found this with some of the with two of the uh, winners of the world writer competition mm. um, one of them Neha Nan wrote an absolutely beautiful piece called my patch of green in the urban jungle oh. and it was about allotments in London that were under threat from development and actually, it's such a powerful poem that the BBC picked up on it. It went to the, when they had to try to sort of overturn the appeal for this development. And it had real power. And I think when children realise actually their words can make adults sit up and think and they, they, can, they can sort of change, you know, they can ultimately change hearts and minds. And if you've got a child doing that, that's wonderful, I think. Yeah. That's a long-winded yeah. way of saying what I <laughs> No, I agree. It's such a wonderful, if you can get a child saying that, and especially in that kind of way and recognise it. I think also, like you said, bring it, again, we get, come around to that phrase, bringing it closer to home, getting people to recognise what is what is there. With your books that you write yourself, obviously the, the themes you choose are wildlife and, and the natural world. How did you get into it? Was that something that was just, you thought, I'm always going to write about that because that's close to my heart? Or did you kind of start just as, realize that's what you wanted to do well I think as um this is probably another long-winded answer but but as a child I was fascinated by wildlife you know as a child which had little, little ants and earwigs and collected <laughs> egg cases I was fascinated by it but I wasn't very good at English um in fact my English was so bad that I wasn't allowed to take the O level I was that I'm that age that we took O levels I wasn't allowed to take <laughs> I wasn't allowed to take the O level I had to do CSE English instead and because I was told I was rubbish at it I just turn my back on it and I thought well and but I loved sciences and so I went on to become a vet which was for my love of animals so I was a vet for many years and it was that um I loved meeting you know different people and the animals and that connection between animals and people whether it's farmers or pet owners or conservationists but it's only then really later on when I had children of my own that I really got back into that love of stories which I'd loved mm. in primary school and I went on, I tried to get published for many years. And I think it's the same story for many people that, you know, <laughs> lots of rejections. <laughs> and I went on um, a writing course and I was trying to write stories that were sort of popular ideas. And, you know, I was just told, no, just write what you love. And so my first story was a book called Skyhawk, which is about the osprey. It's about how an osprey connects children in Scotland and in Gambia. And I just loved writing it. I suddenly thought, you know, this is the story I want to read wanted to read as a child I remember sending out to two agents two agents said children aren't interested in nature anymore which really depressed me oh that's um, um that's disconnected <laughs> and then one agent said she loved it and then one publisher said they loved it and that that book was published 10 years ago um and it's wow and what's lovely is seeing how the osprey's done so well. You know, yeah. we've got osprey now got, just had eggs um, and hopefully fertilised eggs down in Pool Harbour. So the osprey's iconic. It just shows what can be done when you get people to bring about change. Um, and then some of my other my other books are that I've written a book about hen harrier and a eagle warrior, which is about um, eagle persecution to do with grouse moors. 
Um, so they're quite, I suppose I write about issues that interest me and anger me, um, often really anger me. And I want to put that child's view on it. If I was that child, I would be so angry. What could I do about it? Um, but why I think children's stories are so important is that, I mean, nonfiction books are great. They give us information. Mm-hmm. But for a child reader, if they read a story, then you're, then a character is taking them by the hand, drawing them into a world. And then if you emotionally connect with the character, the protagonist in the story, you feel those feelings too. So yeah. you have an empathy for the situation. And so I think that's why stories uh, are re- can really have a lot of power to them. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. That, that's, that's really, but, but how do you do that in regards to heavier topics for children? Because that must be quite hard to... If you're writing about persecution, but do you, I don't know. I mean, what age bracket are you writing that for? So a lot of my stories are the eight to twelves. So okay. I, so when you know, people often say, "Well, how do you write for children?" But when you're mm. a children's writer, you don't write for children. You write as that child you were at that age, right. and so you have to, because um, otherwise, you're sort of, if you're writing for children, you're sort of talking down to them. Um, but actually, yes. if you're writing as that, if you remember how you were when you were, you know, ten, eleven, twelve. At that age, I had so many sort of deep thoughts and deep feelings, but I couldn't express them in words. But I was so, you know, angry if I saw, you know, animals being treated badly. Mm-hmm. So you write from that perspective. So in my story, Sky Dancer, um, it's about a boy who's a gamekeeper's son called Joe. And he sees his father's being put in prison for shooting a hen harrier. And actually, that's probably the most um, unlikely thing in the whole plot that wouldn't happen. <laughs> that's my one big plot hole because no one gets persecuted. Uh, prosecuted. What an imaginary world. I know, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, sadly, Joe's father's died in prison. And his Joe's brother, who's a gamekeeper, is just really angry that his father was treated like that. And Joe sees his brother shooting a hen harrier. And Joe's, I wanted to put Joe in the in the middle of the debate. So I wanted to, him to see the point of view of the landowner, to see the point of view of the gamekeeper, and see the point of view of conservationists. Mm. And I wanted to make it a debate that could bring everyone together. So we have Joe, who's a gamekeeper's son. There's a girl called Minty Araminta, who's the wealthy landowner's daughter. And there's a townie girl called Ella, and she comes into the story. And Together, they have to sort of work out how they see the future and they can see you know, what's wrong about the driven grouse shooting industry. And together, as children, they, they can see the way to sort of to change the landscape. And that, that's, that's what I wanted to do, really, to present all sides of the argument um, and to draw the conclusion that, you know, many people have that we need change and we need to rewild for biodiversity and, and for climate um, but it is. I love you know. It's 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 just a joy writing these stories and getting pulled into these different worlds and meet and actually in real life in the re- research, meeting so many different people from all all backgrounds and aspects of the story that you're writing. With it being such uh, something that you are, I was getting passionate. Is what I was going to say. Passionate, but also like emotionally connected with as well with the topic of raptor or just illegal bird crime or any, I guess, illegal wildlife crime, but specifically with um, raptor persecution. Ever find it challenging to dive back into those thoughts when you are writing about it When with that anger? Does it ever become quite a heavy task to do? 
Um, I think if you're writing authentically, you have to write with those feelings. Otherwise, you're not going to write. And if you write without feeling, then your reader's not going to pick up on that. But I think if you write with those emotions, then hopefully, you know, your reader will pick up, pick up on that. So I think it's important to retain that, how you feel. Yeah, I think that's a big, important part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And you may be very busy with everything coming up. So don't worry if there is, I didn't have this question written down beforehand, Jill. (laughs) But I have to ask you as an author, is there anything coming up in the next few years that we can look forward to book-wise? Or are you too busy with Skydancer Day and the writing competitions? (laughs) No, um, I've just had a book published about beavers and that's called Song of the River. So that's, um, that's quite a short story actually for a publisher called Barrington Stoke who published for the dyslexic audience. And that's about how beavers change landscapes. Mm. And it's about a girl called Carrie who wants to save her mother's cafe business, which has been flooded out several times. The research for that was great because I got to talk to Chris Jones, who's known as the Kernow beaver. Mm-hmm. And he was saying about how he's got beavers back on his farm and the incredible speed of change they make to a landscape to prevent flooding and reduce the peak water flow is is incredible um and so the village below them hasn't been you know it used to be regularly flooded and that saved that village so that's really interesting that's good that's really interesting yeah that's so One powerful book that i'm writing now um which slightly off topic for me but it is and it isn't it's about rats oh <laughs> interesting yeah interesting not many people like rats but most of my books, the animal stays as the animal. I don't anthropomorphize my animals on the whole, but this book is very anthropomorphized. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've got talking rats that um, wear clothes, but it's actually a story about stolen jewels. I was thinking about the crown jewels, and you think about where all these gemstones have come from, you know, what countries have they come from, who's stolen what jewel from what. And it made me thinking, well, you know, we're bizarre species, humans. Why do we prize things like rocks in the ground? You know, why do we give such immense value to these rocks that you pull from the ground just because they're rare? So that was my sort of musing on um, on us as a human species. <laughs> nice. Okay, interesting. Almost had like a sound of colonialism just going around taking yeah. stones. So yeah, interesting. <laughs> There's a thread of that through that. <laughs> <laughs> the two British people say on the podcast. <laughs> um my last question for you, Jill, is uh, the into the world question that we always finish on. And it's a hard one, but if you could pass on one bit of advice onto everyone on the planet regarding the natural world, what bit of advice would you pass on? I think we've touched on this to the extent is be engaged in your local area. Mm. Because if everyone was really engaged in, let's say, 50 mile radius of things that happened in their 50 mile radius, if everybody did that, then we would have a very different planet. Um, we totally would. Yes. I mean, five mile radius would do it. It would. It would. It? It, it absolutely would. And I think I think we have to be have our voices heard. We have to. Mm. We can't sit back. Um, we have to be angry. Yes. Very we do. Anger's a good emotion <laughs> when it's controlled. I will stand. That's a hill I will die on. <laughs> yes, and um, and I think that's why you know words are so powerful. Yeah. Because they're so, uh, they're a protest ultimately they're a protest yeah um, and that's why people like um malala you know you've got these men with guns who are scared of a girl with a pen and that's why you know so mm-hmm. words are powerful words can change the world 
Absolutely. Um, Jill, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the episode. Before you go, I will say to everyone listening, obviously Jill's uh, listed a lot of dates there coming up for 2022 regarding Skydancer and Hen Harrier. They are all in the write-up of the show. So just look at the write-up and all the dates will be listed there. But Jill, thank you so much for coming on today's show. Pleasure to get to chat to you. And I'm looking forward to Skydancer Day and engaging with that when it's online. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the guests that have appeared in today's Into the Wild episode, then you can do so on social media. Their tags are in the write-up of this episode. Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.